Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Thank you. Please be seated. Listen carefully to the man of God. Uh, If I told my mates from the SAS that I'm now a man of God, I'd get a lot of flack. Okay, greetings ladies and gents. It's an awesome privilege to address you guys tonight, and it's good to be amongst friends. I talk at venues all over the planet, and you know, sometimes some of the audiences are not such familiar faces. There was one last year, there was about 50% Muslims, most of them government officials, about 30% were Orthodox Christians, which are the ancient Catholic Orthodox who hate evangelicals, and the Muslims don't love the evangelicals. That leaves about 20% who were secular, and the other few percent, just over 100, was me and about four evangelicals. And I think I was the only one unarmed in the room, and I'm standing up in the front trying to teach them about our God. So it's nice to be home. <laughs> Okay, so we're continuing our series on provision, and Pastor Paul's asked me to talk about um, a message that we did in 2017, and have done bits and pieces of since then. About the, it's all about the three concentric circles of God's economy, and how this is all based on a process of progressive provision, which we can never escape, which God wants us to go through from the center circle and out through the rest of the circles. Okay, and I'll explain those as we go, but it never changes, guys. We are required to go through those for specific reasons. So quite a few of you guys would have heard some of this before, but I'm, I'm actually adapting it tonight to make it a bit different and, and putting some different stories in, so you're not allowed to fall asleep or start texting your boyfies and things like that. Okay. Provision is a very common topic, guys, taught in churches all over the world, as it should be. So, you know, provision's really, really important. But I find that a lot of the provision that we hear is based around the survival mode, the subsistence mode, the, the fundamental basics of provision, um, which is fine. But there, there are other levels of provision that God wants us to get into, okay? So... Um, when you consider the Matthew 6 concept of God provides for the birds and therefore we're more important than them, so, how, you know, so obviously he's going to provide for us, that's the basic fundamental stuff. But it's the higher levels that we actually need to get into if we're going to bring the kingdom of God into the earth. So the Lord doesn't want you bogged down in survival mode. All right, Every single human, he wants you out of that and into the next few circles. Okay, But at the same time, guys, so, so important... He wants you to understand the most fundamental kingdom economic principle, and that is that we must rely on him for our provision, no matter which circle that we're in, okay? We should never rely on the assets or the wealth for our provision, and with good reason, because the minute we do that, the very minute that we start relying on assets and money for our provision, we start to create wealth at the expense of other people. Okay, I don't have time to elaborate on that. It's all on our website if you want to understand that. But that was, the, that was specifically why God did not want Adam and Eve to know uh, to feed from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't want them to know evil. And the minute they knew evil, he cursed the ground, which curtailed the way they created wealth. All the wealth came out of the ground. Okay, so they are intrinsically linked. But for this, 
for our purposes, God wants us to rely on him for our provision and to create wealth within his provision. Anything different to that is the modeling of the devil. Okay? It's the Babylonian economy, which is the root cause of all the social distress that we see around us. So this is why we're doing that. If you consider the manna in the desert, that's a classic example of the fundamental provision um, which God provided for the Hebrews during the Exodus period. So when God provided that manna, he made sure that it rotted overnight. So he, he deliberately instructed these Hebrews, do not collect more than you need for 24 hours. Only collect what you can eat in 24 hours because then it's going to go, it's going to putrefy after that. So he made sure that that would happen deliberately because he knew that the strong would collect more than they need. The strong is the entrepreneurs, okay, like me and some of you guys, lots of you guys. The entrepreneurs are just naturally going to collect more than they need. They designed that way. He designed them that way. Designed them that way so that down the track they would use their ability to create wealth to help fund the economy of, of the new nation. Okay, and even the current, obviously. But he did not want them to collect more than they needed because it had to, there was only a specific amount, and if they did that, it would be at the expense of the weak. Okay, so therefore, he did not want them to do that. And if they did do that, it would putrefy. He made it stink on purpose so that everyone else would know that these guys are taking too much at their expense and they weren't trusting God and their wealth stank. Okay, so if your wealth putrefies and stinks, you know why. And it's so common in the earth today, all right? So he was teaching them never, never, never to create wealth at the expense of the weak. He was so emphatic about this that he created an anomaly and he created an ephod of manna that never went rotten. And he said, put that in a jar and put that jar in the tabernacle and keep it for all the generations forever so they always know that it's always there. Okay, so he wanted this to be extended throughout the generations, that we understood it forever. And it took them 40 years or 39 years to get the message because it never changed while they were in the desert. So they, you know, they had to have that for the whole, the whole time. And if you consider it, almost all of those that entered the promised land had never known anything else. They knew how to rely on God. When they entered that promised land, they had to take on a massive enemy and they had to bring in a whole new economy. They were wiping out a totally corrupted Babylonian economy to bring the economy of God in. So they knew no other way. They did not know how to create wealth other than through God's provision. So that was so important and so fundamental to all of us. Okay? I own and operate a billion dollar corporation and yet... I still rely on God for his provision every single day. And I'll show you some stories on that shortly. Okay? All right, so obviously we move off that, uh, that subsistence level. We go into the overflow. And in the overflow, it's all about sowing and reaping and then into the multiplication where it's all about bringing the kingdom of God into the earth. Okay? So let's, uh, can I have my slide up there, please, gents? So let's reestablish the fundamental um, foundational provision of God. And then we can get into the more exciting levels. So, here they are. Now, does this little beastie work tonight? Oh, will you look at that? Okay, so this is obviously the inner circle where we want to get out of, but that's the one where, uh, well, I should say that there's many interpretations of this kind of graphic, okay? This is just the one that I use. Uh, this is designed by Craig Hill. He teaches families how to get out of debt and things like that. I adapted it for the marketplace because it's nice and simple and easy to get through, all right? But the fundamental... Um, 
basic one in the middle. It's so crucial, ladies and gents, that we understand that God will provide for us simply because he loves us. Okay, that's the initial bit, and we should not even consider sowing and reaping when you're in that middle circle. If you are, you're sowing and reaping to gain for yourself, and that is not what sowing and reaping is all about. If you want to really dig deep enough, God never intended for us to sow and reap, by the way. Okay, everything was already done. We just had to tend. And even after the flood, it was all done again. We just had to tend. The only reason the sowing and reaping is because we start to get greedy and we trash the place and then we have to be taught how to reestablish it again. All right? So anyway, point being that we should not be sowing and reaping out of this area. We are only being given enough to survive. And if we don't understand that, we will never, ever have peace as Christians. Matthew 6.26. Anybody spot the mistake? You did? Okay. That's very good. See, this is the Japanese Bible. You all read backwards. Where's it gone? Oh, it's been taken off. It had, it had the, uh, the, the Matthew 65 going down to Matthew 38 or something this morning. Okay, Matthew 6:26. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? Okay, so it's pretty clear. If we don't understand that, all our giving will be tainted because we'll be giving to receive for ourselves and then you're treating God like a vending machine and it's just not going to work. So Craig Hill puts it this way. How much time does your five-year-old child spend worrying about provision? They simply believe they have a dad and a mum who loves them and food and clothes simply appear and they just trust the parent who loves them to provide for them. It would be wrong for the child to have to worry that dinner depended on whether they gave to the poor at lunch or not. Okay? So therefore, simply, we are his sons and daughters. He loves us. He's going to provide for us. Okay? Let me tell you, uh, let me give you an example of that kind of provision. Um, when I first arrived on the Sunshine Coast in the year 2000, uh, I had no money and I had no income and I had $76,000 worth of credit card debt. I was earning $5 an hour as a builder's laborer um, and this was actually physically not enough to live off. So five bucks an hour, you couldn't live off that in this, on the sunny coast. I had three kids at school. They all eat more than seven horses and it's rent to pay and everything. And I had just a little bit of money left on the credit card that I'd been plundering for the two years before that. So I was in survival mode. I was living in that middle circle there and I was relying on God for everything. I had one small block of land up in Bingle Bay near Mission Beach in far north Queensland and I had a loan with the ANZ Bank on that block of land and the bank rules in those days under the responsible lending legislation was such that you could have vacant land for two years. After that, you had to build on it or you had to sell it or the bank was going to repossess it. Okay? I was into, well into the third year, nearly at the end of the third year, simply because I had no money to build. So I was kind of stranded. I couldn't sell the land because it had gone down in value. So if I did sell it, I would have been left over with a residual debt and I couldn't pay that either. And also, I couldn't pay the interest installments, so they were capitalizing and compounding out of sight and it was getting worse and worse. And the bank was on the verge of foreclosing. Six weeks before that, I was in this church and I was given a prophetic word that I was supposed to write six-figure checks for this church in the near future. $100,000 checks, Dave, just in the near future, dude. Like, you know, hurry up. So, yeah, that's the that's way it was put over. You know, this church needs money. Get on with it. So that was my assignment, okay? Now, how's this? There's Mission Impossible. I've got no money. I've got incredible debt. Nothing's going on. Five bucks an hour and so on. So I was deeply entrenched in that inner circle. And I also had ANZ about to destroy my planet. 
So I decided I better get a job with Aussie Home Loans because they were the ones where I thought I could learn a bit about how to make some money. Now in those days, uh, there was no software around that you could just assess all the loans by sticking people's criteria in. You actually had to learn the credit policies of the banks. And most brokers would learn about six banks and that would be enough to get them right through their whole career. That Most of the banks have enough products for you to get through your career just doing six banks. But you know what? The Lord showed me that my case was different. He actually showed me you need to write six-figure checks quickly. So you're not going to get by with just learning six banks. You need to learn the banks and learn them well and find these hidden credit policies. So I did that. I learned all of the credit policies of all of the lenders, 43 lenders, and I learned their credit policies. And I found uh, credit policies that even they had forgotten they had. But Aussie had a lot of clout. So when I found those policies and told them, well, you need to do that for this person, they couldn't argue because then they had, I would tell all the rest of the brokers in Aussie and they, they would lose a lot of market share. Okay, but the Lord, the point is the Lord actually showed me to do that um, because I had to write these checks. So I learned how to provide specialist funding to people who couldn't get loans. In the, in the finance world, in the finance broking world, it takes about three months to get paid after you finish writing a loan. There's just that long lead time in those days. So I, I was into like month number two. I had given up my $5 an hour, which was quite a lot of money when you got none. And so now my credit card was fully drawn and I was at the end of my tether and in that center circle, just literally getting manna from the desert depending on the Lord, okay? And there was a guy sitting in the booth next to me, a finance broker next to me. There was, 11, there was 13 of us in the office and I could hear him getting, talking to a client on the phone, incoming lead. And the lead came in from Israel of all places and I heard the word Bingle Bay mentioned in the discussion. And the guy's name was Alan. And Alan said to the client, there's no way on earth I can get you a loan. And you, you, know, you don't even live in Australia, this, this, and this. And eventually he gave up and hung up. And I said to Alan, hey, what was all that about? And, and what's this thing on Bingle Bay? And he said, oh, this is a guy who wants to buy land overlooking the ocean. So he's got this block in Bingle Bay he's got his sights on. So I said, can I have a look? Which one? It was my block of land. My one that I had on the market and couldn't afford to sell, couldn't do anything with it. What, what is the chance of that happening? Okay, this guy lives in Israel. He could have bought the land anywhere in the world, but he chose my block of land. He could have taken on any bank in Australia. There were 43 lenders, but he chose Aussie Home Loans. Aussie had over 100 branches. He could have chosen anyone. There were over 500 brokers in Aussie then, in those days. So one chance in 500 that I would be sitting there listening to that. And even the fact that it came to Alan, I was very rarely in the office. I was always out hustling for loans. You just don't sit in the office there. So so the fact is I was actually there and of course I was the only one in that office who could actually get a specialist loan for someone who wasn't an Australian resident. This guy owned a casino, okay, no bank wanted to give him a loan. I didn't care that he owned a casino, I was in dire straits and in my mind the Lord is providing. We should deal with Babylonian money, we should launder it into the kingdom of God, clean it up, <laughs> alright, so why not? <laughs> So this guy's a big shot, and I said to him, you know what, dude, I can get you the loan. He wanted exposure to Aussie dollars. And I said, I can get you this loan, but you know what, you're going to have to pay more than the block is worth, because there's no point in me selling you, the bank won't release the land. He said, I don't care, I just want Aussie dollars, and if you get me the loan, you will be handsomely rewarded. Okay, so I got him the loan. I was able to pull it off. And so I got handsomely rewarded, the bank disappeared, and, and I was immediately out of that survival circle. And God had provided 
provided. Not only did he provide the client through the most amazing set of circumstances, he also provided the equipping. He told me months earlier, you need to learn all of those banks, not just six. Okay, you need to dominate this marketplace, this finance world. Okay, that's exactly what happened. And that is the physical beginning of a billion dollar corporation that it is today. That's what actually started it. Okay, so it's so amazing. Anyway, that's God providing when we've got nothing. Um, but there was an overflow. So that took me into that second circle, and that's what we should all be stri striving to do in the first instance, is to get out of the, the first circle. Getting out of that first circle is based on various criteria. Uh, usually, initially, our obedience to God. So what are you going to do? How mature are you with the, the survival money? I could have taken that money and gone and got bulletproof drunk for the next three weeks and ended straight back up in problems again. Okay, or are you going to go and buy dope with it? Are you going to go and gamble it away in the casino this Israeli dude had? Or what will you do with that money? Okay, so God is watching what you are doing with the money. It's really important. He's going to test you, especially in the area of overflow. He's going to test you over and over again, especially if your assignment is, revolves around money like mine does. We're going to have to pass a lot of tests. The other part of it is God's timing. Some people, he wants them to stay there longer for various reasons. Another part of getting out of that inner circle is your natural gifting. Okay, remember I said that God made some people strong. That this strong, when they're talking about strong in the Bible in, in terms of funding and, and finance, they're talking about the entrepreneurs. Okay, the people that God gave the gift to create excess wealth. So some people are given that gift naturally. Mine is about a $2 million ceiling. It's not a very strong gifting. Um, it's a billion dollar company, but that's only because I do God's will, God's way, and he applies the favor. But look at Kerry Packer, guys like him. He would never stay in that inner circle very long. Remember Kerry Packer? He was Australia's richest man, $6 billion man, always denied God, was as pagan as they get. God got his attention. He died, and he had one of those white experiences, and then came back again, and he still denied God. Okay, so he didn't last a lot longer after that. So, but the point is that he would never have stayed in that circle. So don't get upset when you see pagans or, or secular people making lots of money and say, how come, Lord, he's a crook and he makes money and I don't? It's just that they have a different gift set. They're not using it for the kingdom, that's all. Okay, so it's out of this overflow that God evaluates your faith and tests your obedience to resolve his statutes. Okay, or, and resolve to keep his statutes rather. Will you tithe? This is where the tithing starts. Will you tithe for your local church? Will you give to others out of the provision that he gives to you? We have to remember, guys, it doesn't rain money. So if there's somebody needs provision, God's going to use someone else to provide. So that's what a miracle offering is in this church. Okay, We are the ones who have to provide that miracle offering. What does God tell you to provide? What does he tell your conscience or your spirit to provide? I know what he tells me. Mine's kind of different. I look at what comes in and figure out, do some maths and work out a plan. So, but we all have this, this uh, obligation okay, to tithe and to do offerings. And as Paul said earlier, um, it's... It's the best way to show that you love the Lord, to show the Lord that he is the provider of the assets and you're regarding him as the provider of assets over the assets themselves. This is one of the hardest things for people to do. 
Okay? It's also during this phase that he's going to give you your assignment. He's going to test you. Will you drop everything and do your assignment? And by assignment, I'm meaning that which he put you on the earth to do. So not generic Christianity. I'm talking about your actual assignment. If you consider that God had an assignment or lots of assignments that needed to be done, you were born into the assignment. He didn't birth you and then say, oh, what, what shall I do with this dude? Okay, it's the other way around. Okay, so he, there's, a, there's stuff that needs doing. There's a church that needs pastoring. Oh, awesome, Pastor Paul, Pastor Kate. They are, let's get them designed and built and sorted out and trained and gifted sufficiently to do the job at a certain point in time. Okay, so it's that way around. So here now in this circle is where you will get your assignment. And hopefully you're paying attention or trying to find it and waiting on the Lord for it and so on. Okay, and then it's... There has to be overflow and you have to go into the circle of multiplication because your assignment is always going to be mission impossible. It has to be mission impossible. If it wasn't then the de- and you could do it in your own strength, the devil would shut you down in a heartbeat. Okay, So it's going to be mission impossible, so you're going to have to get into the next circle. And you will find that all the people who are living in that circle of multiplication, the Christians, those are the ones that are doing their assignment. Just about always I find that. Okay, And we're always trying to get them to be in there. Okay, so also, guys, this business of, of giving to the kingdom during the time of overflow, it's not, there's more to it than, than just giving because you love God. You hopefully want a strong spiritual covering. This particular church understands spiritual covering really, really well. And Pastor Paul and the leadership and the intercessors and so on, they provide it well. That covering needs to be strong. The worst thing you can have in the marketplace is a, weak, a church that's financially weak because they're not thinking of you in the marketplace. They're thinking of how will we keep the doors open. I want them thinking of me in the marketplace. So, you know, We need to pray for Paladin and Hodgson. He's a maniac. Let's pray for him and calm him down so that you know, he doesn't burn all his staff out and stuff. So that's what a covering is all about. All right, but, and, it's, and it's obviously the fruit of our labor that we, we're talking about here in this, this overflow circle. But you know what? It's been so hard for mankind to actually part with the fruit of our labor. This is the biggest deal. We fought over it. We've murdered for it. This is a list I've put. We've lied for it. We've ripped each other off for it. We've spent our lives trying to accumulate it. We've lived in fear of losing it. It's unbelievable. Certain cultures, you know, the parents die and the brothers and sisters just about kill each other for the will, for shares in the will. And I look at this and I think, wow, this is actually a massive social problem. But they're just... It's just driven by greed and self-centeredness, okay? This business for fighting for wealth and hoarding wealth is related to an attempt to be independent from the provision of God. That's exactly what you're telling God. If you read Isaiah 58, he says, you're not worshiping me, you're busy fighting each other all the time for money and so on, all right? So the very best way to break this hold is to prove to God that he is the provider and therefore you hand back the fruit to him, okay? All right, now let's get on into the outer circle because this is the awesome circle. And this is the stage of a Christian's walk where they can be trusted with much greater provision. Doesn't always mean they're going to stay trusted with it because lots of people get picked off in that circle and the wealth gets to their head. But usually by the time you get there, the Lord has tested you enough times so that he can trust you with it. That doesn't mean that the devil can't still take you out because you see it quite a lot. Okay? Now, but this is, this is the area of assignment, a very, very strong area of assignment. So if we look at Luke 19, we've taught on that quite a lot in this church. But here we can see all three circles of provision appearing all at once. This is why I choose this, um, this scripture. 
So in the first instance, we have the conversion of Zacchaeus. So you guys would know in this church, you'd know pretty well what first century Palestine looked like. We've spoken about it often. The, the Jews, the Hebrews, the, Jew, the Jewish nation had been plundered into poverty by their own people. Okay, by the Jewish leaders, obviously the Romans as well, but even before the Romans, the Jews plundered, the Jewish leaders plundered the Jewish people. All right? So they'd gotten to such an extent where over 95% of the nation was starving, and all of them, this 95%, were actually enslaved and feudalized to the crooked priests running the temple. Okay, so it, they were selling their children. Children were being trafficked all the time simply because the children would starve if they stayed in the family. So massive trafficking, incredible poverty, starvation. It's all happening, okay? That's what Jesus was born into, and that's the setting when he's calling Zacchaeus to come and get converted. So, of course, Zacchaeus is this tax collector, and he's actually a leader of other tax collectors. Okay, so he's now sitting in a tree, He's a little hobbit, he can't see high, so he's up in a tree, as hobbits do. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. So to abide at thy house doesn't really mean I'm going to come and stay at your pad for the night, you know, what, what's the bed and brekkie cost? It's actually talking about the house of Zacchaeus, your, your family, your extended estate. That is the house, the house of Hodgson, the house of David, the house of the Lord. It's that kind of house. And I'm coming to abide there. By abide there, I'm going to put my DNA into your house, into the house of Zacchaeus. I'm going to convert you from, from this plundering of the people of Jericho and the entire region. I'm going to convert that into something that works, into a kingdom economy that works. You're going to deal with all of these circles in one hit. Okay, so that's why, that's what's going on. You need to understand the reason Zacchaeus came down from the tree or the reason he was in the tree in the first instance is nothing to do with faith. We often think, oh, this guy's so faithful. Jesus had come and he just came. So if that's the case, Allah could have said, hey, dude, come and he would have come. How would he have known the difference? The fact is there was no money left in Jericho. He had taxed them for so long there was nothing left. And so now, if he's going to try and get tax for next year, and if he doesn't, the Romans are going to throw him in jail because they'll think he's stolen all the money, he needs a plan. Jesus is offering a plan. If you, re if you watch the, the two chapters before Luke 19, you will see what Jesus was doing. He, Zacchaeus, was watching all of that. And Jesus was talking about that. Okay, so it, it all links together. But the point is, he's going to show Zacchaeus this kingdom economy, this provision economy. You cannot create wealth in any other way other than human enterprise. So he's plundered these humans into poverty, so there's no enterprise. So unless he restores that, there's never going to be any more wealth. And that's why Jesus wants him to restore it. So Jesus takes him and he has a good chat all night, teaches him the God's economy, and he comes back the next day, totally changed human being. He now knows that he better give them some money back. So the Bible says he gave them back four times what he took for them, so 400%. The first 100% is what he took from them. Okay, so we don't know whether that was 10 years worth of plundering or one year's worth of plundering. doesn't really matter. Fact is, he gave them back the, 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 that first circle. What did I take for you from, that you used to eat and used to be your survival? Have it back. So God has provided through Zacchaeus back to these people. This is a true story. Okay? And then he said, I'm going to give you back four times as much as I've taken. So that's the, what I've taken plus three times as much. That's the overflow. Okay, and then he said, now, for henceforth, I'm going to give you 50% of everything that I earn down the track. Now, these people are starving, they are poor, they are selling their children, and he, this very wealthy guy, is going to give them half of everything he owns. 
Okay, that is massive multiplication for these people. They've gone through all three circles in one narrative. And so they are standing there saying, wow, this is so awesome. You know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the mindset of the Jewish mind that the kingdom of God is at hand means we're going to take out the Romans. We're going, we're going to, there's going to be an insurrection against Rome. And there's no way on earth they would have won that war. So Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 sit down, you dudes. This is not possible. Rome is not actually the problem. The problem is greed and self centeredness You take out Rome, your own people will still plunder you, plunder you just so they did for 160 years before the Romans actually invaded in 64 BC. Okay? So that's not the problem. You're not going to fix it if you take the Romans out, and they're going to flog your butt anyway if you try. And they did try 35 years later, and they got so badly flogged, right? So the point is, Jesus is saying, sit down, let me show you what the wealth is for. And in that process, he delivered the parable of the meaners. Okay, so the parable of the meaners is not a true story. It's a parable, but it's telling them, as they do, the type of dialogue, the picturesque dialogue and poetic dialogue that they had, telling them what is this wealth for? What is the multiplication for? And this is so important to us, guys. It's not for us to hoard and, and you know, get Ferraris and more than one jet ski each and stuff like that. <laughs> you won't go to heaven if you haven't got a vehicle to get there, and a jet ski is the one. <laughs> Okay, so the setting of this, this story obviously is outside of Jericho, okay? And to the Jews, um, they knew exactly what was going on when, when Jesus told them this parable. He says, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. Okay, so he's standing outside Jericho and he's referring to Herod's the great son, whose name was Achilleus. Achilleus had journeyed to Rome some years earlier and, to, and he had gone to Rome because Augustus Caesar was going to coronate him as the king of that area or the, or the uh, tetrarch of that area, if you like. Okay, now that's about a six months journey to go to Rome, party up, get all your crowning done and come back again. So the people, the audience that Jesus was talking to would immediately identify with what he was talking about. So it's not some mystery moving in mysterious ways. It's actually happened. So that's what they're listening to. So Jesus is saying, so the nobleman, before he left, he's got all these slaves and he gave each one of these slaves one mina. Now these are proper slaves. Doulos is the Greek word for slave. And they were in that middle circle that used to be up there. Okay, they were at the bottom end, they were, they were fully in survival mode, they got given food and clothes and nothing else, that was who they were. The master must have been a little bit happy with them because he trusted them with some overflow, that's what the mina was. Take the overflow, I have an assignment for you, go and do your assignment with this mina. The assignment was to go and trade the mina. The word trade, pragmaduomai, or deo pragmaduomai, means it's a technical word to trade in currencies. There's only one place I could trade in currencies, and that was at the temple. So these dudes had to go to the temple and deal with these incredibly crooked money changers. Remember, they were crooked. Jesus trashed them soon after this. He went into the temple and bankrupted them, literally. Okay, But in this instance, this is what they've got to go and do. So during the six-month period, they're going to go and trade with these crooked money changers, and then they come back and they bring the, the nobleman the money. And one of them has brought back 10, another one's brought back five, and so on. So bringing back 10 in six months means he's made 1,000% in six months. The multiplication, okay? The other guy has made five, 500% in six months. Incredible, you know, compared to Commonwealth Bank at 3% at best. 
per annum. These guys did it in six months. Okay, So that is where the Lord wants us. That is throughout the Bible, you guys. This is not too good to be true. It's what we're supposed to believe and what we're supposed to do. I'm a $2 million guy, but I run a billion-dollar company. Okay, It's like... You know, it's not too good to be true. Anyway, so the nobleman says, awesome, well done. You can be over 10 cities. You can be over five cities. And everyone's going to live happily ever after. 15 cities is the entire nation of Australia. These guys are going to be over these cities. The word they used, the nobleman used, is exousia. It's a Greek word which means a superhuman token of control over culture, over human culture. That's what it means. A control over culture that's actually superhuman. So that's what he's saying. It's the same word the devil used when he tried to tempt Jesus. When he said, you know, remember when Jesus got baptized, he had to go in the desert for 40 days and the devil was trying to tempt him. His devil said, all exousia was given to me and I will give it to you if only you will do, if you'll worship me. And Jesus tells him to get lost. And then it's the same word that Jesus uses in the Great Commission when he says, all exousia has now been given back to me. Therefore, now go and make disciples and I'll be with you until the end of the age. In other words, you take that superhuman uh, control over culture and go and change culture in the marketplace. Okay, so that's what it's all about. So having go and have authority over these cities, change the spirit of darkness that has plundered them into poverty and now change that into the spirit of generosity and come under God's provision. So that's exactly what they were supposed to do with that money. That's exactly what Jesus is telling them. Number one, these slaves were given an assignment. It was a very dangerous assignment. If you win, when you're, when you're dealing with FX, with foreign currencies, someone's got to lose. If you win, someone's going to lose. These guys won, means the money changers lost. They're going to slit your throat. They're going to catch you. It was a very dangerous assignment, but they did it, okay? It was mission impossible. It was frightening. You know, you go into the promised land, you're going to take on seven nations, each of which is greater and mightier than you. Go and to go and trade this money. It's such a threatening assignment. All of our assignments are threatening, but they did it, okay? It was more important to do the assignment to worry about their own safety. So they did it, took the risk for their Lord. Number two, they did it righteously. They made that money. These are slaves. Keep in mind, these are slaves. For them, suddenly to get tenfold is like, man, I've never seen this. Like, I can't even count to ten. Okay, now he's got to bring, they brought it back. They could have hid it in the bush. They could have run away with it. There was no cross-collaboration and data matching between the temple money changers and the tax office, like, you know. So no, how, did, how did anyone know what they earned? But they brought it back. They were righteous. And of course, they, they proved that they could be trusted with money. They could work in multiples. They could handle the burden of wealth without it corrupting them. And that's why they were promoted in one hit from slaves to governors of cities. And that's why they went into that outer circle. And it's exactly the same. It happens over and over in the Bible. Joseph from jail to running the economy of Egypt, okay? It just happens so often. And I know what happened to us, and I've taught this and seen so many people go from the center circle to where they are now as long as they stay within the provision of God and never step outside of that end circle, all right? So it applies to everyone in this room. And I'll just close with another little war story uh, because I want you to understand that even if you're in this outer circle, that there is the border. You're never going out here. See, it's a bit dark out here. Not pretty. Stay in there. So even at that level, okay, you know, we have a large uh, thermal coal mining tenement in Tasmania, formerly valued at 420 million. We own 50% of that plus uh, casting vote on the board. But before we got there, there was a massive 
Filipino energy company which had put in a $20 million offtake deposit. So in other words, they put $20 million in and they said, when you guys eventually get into production, which needs to be within five years, we want coal from you at a discounted price, equivalent to what the interest would have been had we lent you the money. So just typical stuff like that. So that was there. But it took longer than five years for the mine to go into production. So interest accrued and it accrued and it capitalized and it compounded and went silly until eventually it was about $35 million. And then last year they said, we want the $35 million back and we want it now. Okay, so my job, our job, Paladin, we own 50% of this mine, our job is to actually keep the funding up to the mine to take it into production. All the other shareholders who own the mine, they don't do anything. They just sit there and, and scream and yell. So we had now to find 35 mil, and it's really hard to fund a coal mine so, because of the media. So we were battling with this, and eventually these guys are going to take action. They're going to shut the whole thing down. They're going to fire sale the assets. So I pray to the Lord, as you would, you know, <laughs> in positions like this. But I didn't pray for breakthrough. I prayed for provision. Lord, we can't do this. We've got to do your assignment. We need this coal mine for the assignment. So, Lord, we need provision. Can you provide? You know what? I went into battle with these guys. There were two lawyers, the, the lawyers for the, um, the energy company and the lawyers for the coal mine. And this is not a reflection on all lawyers, but these two were, they had a combined IQ of an ant. It was like dealing with the unbelievable stupidity. The, the thing they kept presenting to us to sign, every time I read it, and I don't trust the, the, the lawyers that just tell me, yes, yeah, sign, that's never going to happen. So I read this lot, and then I, this lot, and I start contesting it and arguing and fighting with them right throughout this whole Christmas period just gone. Every day I was on, on warfare with these guys fighting it. And eventually I got so fed up with them, I went bypass them to the energy company and said, what is this lot that you've got? Can't you get a proper human? being that understands, you know, at the very least what a pen is for. And, and they said to us, well, make an offer. And then we struck a deal. I said, what would you take? And they said, we'll take six mil. I said, okay, if you to give us 12 months to pay, then we've got a deal. Okay, so we agreed to pay six mil over the next 12 months, and we're probably about two mil into that already. But that's the provision of God, even at the outer circle of multiplication. From 35 mil, just in like an hour's worth of dialogue, zap, down to 6 mil, quite manageable, and away we go. Okay? Really important, guys. This business of paying for, praying for breakthrough, I'll just close with this one. Never pray for breakthrough for your own personal gain because it's so closely linked to being independent of God's provision. So often when I'm talking to Christians, come into my office, they, everything's collapsing around them, I say to them, what this, what that, what that, just interview, just try and get some info to help them. What are you praying for? Oh, I've been praying for breakthrough, this and that. Why? Oh, because you know, this and that and I need that, I need that. So all of it is for themselves. And, and it's, when I say, what, what, is you, what is your giving regime? Oh, well, when I have this, I will give. So they're praying for breakthrough and then they'll give to God. Okay, and they've got plenty of money anyway. They could be giving to God right now. But the point is they're praying against God's will. And it's so important not to do that. So always pray for provision. And when you're praying for breakthrough, I'm not saying don't pray for breakthrough. I'm saying praying for breakthrough for kingdom purposes, for church purposes, for God purposes, not for personal purposes. Okay? Otherwise, you're praying against him. So 
you know, in, keep in mind, I've said this many times here, that I, my natural gifting is to make $2 million. And I always end up making $2 million. All the funny little businesses that I've had, God put it in my DNA, and that's it as a natural entrepreneur. He created me that way. So when left to my own devices, that's what I do. At a fishing company in Rhodesia, um, commercial fishing company with three trawlers and so on, cruising around on Lake Kariba, and, and yep, awesome stuff, millionaire, too easy, but only two mil. Never got above that. I had two mines as my sapphires and tantalite and you know blood diamonds like that movie and everything else and smuggling them overseas okay and then I was a saturation diver in Singapore and Southeast Asia and Japan for many years never ever getting above two million dollars and motorcycle dealership in Perth had an earth moving business on the Atherton Tablelands mobile phone company all sorts of stuff never ever all of these different sectors of industry never ever got above two million dollars and that went on for 22 years okay 15 of those years I was a Christian 10 of those years I was the biggest funder of our church on the Atherton Tablelands. And I'm not big noting me, just that I was on the board. I could see how much money's coming in. So I knew who was putting the money in. And like, I still never broke away from the cursed ground. I still worked under the cursed ground, even though I was funding my church. Okay? That was purely because I was always praying for personal breakthrough and I never understood God's process of progressive provision. Okay, but as soon as I figured that out, you saw that when I was talking about working, doing my assignment at Aussie Home Loans, even though I had no money, you will write six-figure checks. I said, awesome, I will go to the temple and trade the currencies. Don't care how risky it is, don't care, let's just do it. Who dares wins? And I got in and did it, and I understood how to do it God's way and stay within his provision, and look what happened. Okay, so here we are today where the, where the actual assignment grew and grew and grew, and eventually into you must now create a benchmark sheep nation, the modern uh, interpretation of a, of a sheep nation on earth for the rest of the world to look in and see what does it mean and how to do it. Sheep nation is the epitome of God's provision. That is the end result of God's provision. There is no social distress. There's no human misery. There's no trafficking of kids, no plundering of Jericho. It's all in God's economy and that's how it should be. Now you beanbag, $2 million man, you create it. So I knew I needed God's provision. You need more than two mil to do this. Am I my ex-soldier? Well, I need some brain power to do this. I need some wisdom like you gave Solomon, all of this stuff. That is all provision, okay? And I needed all of that to do what we're doing today. Here we are today, $1.2 billion corporation influencing millions of people. Lecture to 64 million people last year. Over 20,000 Bible colleges teach our stuff. Um, over 360,000 students study KI on any given day around the world. It's unbelievable. And I'm just some baboon from the back of Africa <laughs> with no education, okay? That's the provision that I'm talking about, guys. It's literally the case. Even in the White House last year, even one-on-one -on -one with the Treasurer of the United States of America talking about how they, they, they change culture in the marketplace so they don't have to put so much money in to getting rid of poverty. They are working... Th th they created 13 million jobs. I've just got a couple of minutes and we'll pray. Uh, and Musos, please come up if you can. Um, they created 13 million new small to medium enterprises um, since Trump has been in, no matter whether you like him or not, that's what he's done. 6.7 million new jobs. Five million of those new jobs went to the poorest people in the nation. Afro-Americans and Hispanics because they know that if they get rid of poverty, they get rid of socialism. Socialism is the counterculture of the kingdom of God. And they wanted us to teach them how do they get rid of this poverty because the poverty is created by us 
trading the Babylonian way, plundering the poor. Okay, so if we can change the culture that created that, we don't have to put so much money in. How do you do that? They asked us to come to the White House to teach them that. Unbelievable. Okay, let's pray, guys. Holy Father, I just pray for every single human being in this building here. I pray that we will never try to escape your wonderful structured provision. I pray we will understand your processes, that we'll understand your ways, that we will believe that they work. We've seen proof over and over that they work. There's no other way that works, Lord. I pray that they will, all of us will commit to these processes and these ways, and ultimately we will see the kingdom of God established in the earth as we progress through these circles, Lord, as we pass the test, as we recognize the tests and acknowledge these tests, and pass them and move on to begin to fund our local churches because that's where the, 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 the disciples are made, Lord, and so much goes on in these local churches and then to fund our assignments to get out into the marketplace and bring the kingdom of God into the marketplaces of the cities of the world. And so, Lord, we just thank you. It's such an honor to serve you. Lord, it's such a privilege to serve you and we just praise your name in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <laughs>